0: Before you even go into setting up a test, it's nice to be able to isolate something like just change the headline. That's all we're going to do. Just a headline test. You're typically not going to get statistically significant results, though, with just a headline test unless it is dramatically different. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And
1: I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go!
0: No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe.
1: The one request we tell our guests?
0: Stories or didn't happen.
1: A big welcome to our marketing fan.
0: Prepare to turn the f- up.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Millennials podcast. Today's guest is Joanna Weeb, the founder of Copy Hackers, the home of conversion copywriting. Joanna has helped incredible companies like Canva, Intuit, Prezi, Sprout Social, SAP. BWO, to optimize their copy. Excited for all of you to hear this episode with this legendary copywriter. Hey, welcome to the show.
0: Howdy, how's it going?
1: I'm super excited for this show. Copywriting is one of my favorite topics to mm-hmm. talk about, so I'm excited to dig in. But I wanted to start with, how did you get into marketing and copywriting?
0: Sure. Oof. So that was many moons ago, and I basically just fell into it. So I was an English major and I went, I was going into law school because I didn't know what else to do with my life. And I had this family tragedy the day before law school started. So I deferred my admission to the following year because I was not ready to go into it. And then I was like sitting around for a couple months and I had a friend who worked at an agency, a local B2B marketing agency. She worked at the front desk and she was like, well, we're looking at hiring a writer. Do you want to maybe apply for it? And I was like, "Uh, what do you guys even do? Like, I have no idea what you're talking about when you say marketing. So we went to a coffee shop (laughs) and she told me what marketing was. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I can apply, but like, going back to law school next year. So like, I don't know. So I applied, I uh, got the job. And then my first day, the boss came in, one of the two principals there came in to my little area and was like, okay, what are we going to call you? Do you want to be called a copywriter? And we were both like, "Ooh." boo, that sounds awful. What is a (laughs) copywriter? That's the worst. Uh, So we settled on creative writer. We were both very excited about this name. And I've said it a million times, like that single labeling error set me back several years because the job, of course, as a copywriter is not creative writing in the slightest. So um, yeah, that that was how I got started. I did not go back to law school the following year. I didn't want to be in law school in the first place, because I didn't know what, I didn't want to be a lawyer. I just liked taking the LSAT. Have you ever taken like the LSATs or anything like that?
1: No, I'm a bad test taker, but that's, oh. that's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: okay. For anybody who's a, who likes those tests, I really liked the test. So um, that was like what really drew me to law school. And I was like, that's probably not enough That's probably not like a reason to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars or some nonsense. It wasn't that much, but it felt like it might as well have been. So, yeah, I stuck with it. And that was the beginning of the last 17 years of my life.
1: I want to go into that topic you just talked about. Like, what is like for people who don't know, like the difference between like copywriting and creative writing?
0: So it's a lot like, you know, designing a web page versus... Painting portraits, very different things. And so the challenge is that the word writing is in it. So everybody's like, oh, you're a writer. No, <laughs> no. Copywriting is salesmanship in print. So a copywriter is somebody who sells, and the tool that we use to sell is uh, the written word. In this case, just like a designer uses pixels to get their vision, but that's usually their vision across for us we are trying to get our prospects vision of their better life across in uh in words that we write down and then we edit aggressively so that they actually work
1: i love that i love that and i wanted to go into like why do you think so many companies like underrate like copywriting cuz i feel like They the the mark like a lot of head of markings think they could just do the copy, but they don't they've never like studied copywriting or done any of this stuff. Like, why is it so underrated and why are so many companies not utilizing this?
0: Oh, I think because there's a lot of crappy copywriters out there. I mean, look at me. I started out an English major who thought she was there to be a creative writer. Meanwhile, I'm being tasked with writing at least at the time, it was really a lot of websites. because This was 17 years ago and most businesses were like, oh, I need a website. (laughs) So I was doing a lot of that. But there were like a lot of welcome to headlines across my copy, which is very bad. So I was one of those copywriters who doesn't know that copywriting exists to make the sale or get the yes. And so people like me 15 years ago and beyond The old version of me are um, not exactly helping the cause. Because if you don't know that copy is there to get the yes in whatever form it is, generate leads, generate sales, get people to come to your demo, whatever that thing is, that is the yes you need from them. If you don't know that, then you're going to do it all wrong. You're going to write things that sound good to you or sound good to your creative director, the people who are signing off on copy internally think they're signing off on stuff that sounds good. And, oh, this doesn't sound good. And so rewrite it until it sounds like something I like. And so that's the challenge is people in the first place don't know that copywriting isn't a writing exercise. They don't know it. And a lot of copywriters, very well-intentioned copywriters. I was well-intentioned. I wanted to do the right job. But I didn't know. I had no idea I was supposed to be selling things. And so as long as people don't know that, then how are they ever going to know what to expect of it? And so then everybody just thinks like, yeah, just just go write it. I've had people say to me who called me a wordsmith, and this is well into my career when I was already A-B testing emails against each other and getting badass results. And still a marketer would come to me and say like, oh, can you wordsmith this? Or someone once said, can you fluff this up? And I was like, uh, go F yourself. What are you talking about? Get out of my cubicle. That's not what we do around here. But nobody knows that. And so I could be a diva all I want to and say like, uh, take your little fluff copy job and you can do that then. That's not what I'm here for. But the better way to do it is actually just to be a lot more open with teaching people What copy exists to do, and that means sharing your AB test results when those are possible, sharing your before and after, which is the most common scenario for most businesses. Everybody wants to test, not everybody can. And so, actually, sharing those is the whole point of my business, copyhackers.com. That's we're there to help businesses know like this is not a writing exercise, this is a sales exercise. Here's how to do it right. Stop saying writing, it's not writing, it's just using words.
1: I love that, yeah, and I love that you you said it's a sales exercise because it, it is really, like you said, the goal is to get a yes and get get someone to take action, whether it's make a sale or download a piece of white paper or whatever. It's still yeah. trying to do that. I want to know, how did you become a better copywriter? What are some things you did to like hone your scale?
0: Well... Such a long process, (laughs) such a long ongoing process. Some of the earlier stuff. So one of the first things that really changed it for me, I knew, I knew already this was about four years into my career and I was working at a big tech company and I, you know, started to keep a swipe file, but at the time, again, there were just not a lot of people talking online about this either. So You're really just kind of chipping away at picking things up as you go. And so I was keeping a sort of swipe file, just like here are, you know, (laughs) there were also brochures in there because it was many moons ago. That was like the beginning is just like observation. Okay. Who did something different? And then I, the first real change though, was when I read uh, Robert Cialdini's book, Influence and in it, throughout it there were all of these studies that he'd synthesized studies he'd been part of studies. He had not been part of, but like these real studies on when you say the word, because here's the outcome of that versus not using the word because, and I was like, hold on (laughs) what people are out there testing this stuff. Like really they're doing what? Like it was this whole like amazing moment for me that that some people were taking my job extremely seriously, and I was not taking my job that seriously at all, but I wanted to. I was, I like school. I really liked school. And so this was like a new chance to pull academics into something that felt like so artsy and that didn't sit right with me. Even though I had a creative writing background, I liked really uh, like postmodern, post-structuralist creative writing. So I have, like, I want things with structure. I want to know that there's a discipline to something, there are rules to follow. And so when I read that and started to see that there, even if there aren't clear rules in Cialdini's influence, there are still all of these eye-opening moments where you're like, holy crap, we can actually persuade people to do something. And sometimes people use that, those tools for good. And sometimes they do not and i soon after that was gobbling up everything i could find on the subject and you come across a lot of you know shadier marketing when you start to go down those paths where people do take those human decision making principles and kind of use them for you know quote unquote evil right like they're selling guns to people who are scared that their granddaughter is going to get kidnapped and i've literally read that exact advertisement or a woman who got kidnapped picture of a woman in the back of in like the trunk of a car crying and this was targeted at older people who are scared that that's the future for their grandchildren it just feels it's, it's so gross to me to have to go to that place so i've seen all the shady <laughs> there's a lot of shady out there but there's also a lot of opportunity for good, right? Like to actually get people who land on that software solution, like they land on a project management tool, and they're really frustrated with their current crappy way of managing projects. If you can help them understand that this is the better way for them, or at least understand, huh, There's value here, but it's not the better one for me. It's not going to solve what I need. I'm going to move on to the next one. Now we're doing really good work and we can test that and see how it's working. So that's a really long answer to that because I got derailed by that horrible ad, but it really did start out with Cialdini and then just like snowballed from there.
1: Yeah, I love that it's a psychology book, that a behavioral psychology book that you read first that... Got you to know like what converts because a lot of people think it's underestimate the psychology side of writing and marketing, which is a huge part. I want to, you were saying that these are there's some persuasion skills. What are like some top ones that you use or like you recommend people use for good that people like could use in their copy today that are just like quick tips?
0: I mean, when it comes to techniques that you may have learned contrast effect is a huge one understanding that people make decisions by comparing and contrasting their options that's one of the reasons that demonstrations are so powerful in marketing and sales uh, the ability to contrast a before and after a old way of doing it against a new way of doing it so there's contrast and then there's also when it comes down to like the actual sales message when you're comparing and contrasting or allowing people to be able to say like, okay, here's this option and here's this similar option. And here's this totally different option. Like the ugly Jerry effect that I have found to be the lowest hanging fruit really is, is applying contrast effect on your sales pages, in your emails, wherever you have a CTA all over the place. And of course, definitely heavily uh, baked into demonstrations as well. That's my number one. Um, If you're not using contrast effect, you're probably losing some really easy conversions.
1: That's amazing. I love that. Um, I love that. Like, effect where you kind of do the homework for your prospect um yeah so so they you compare them to your competitors sometimes and then show them like why you better kind of like how avis the old avis ad did um back in the day how have you gotten to like learn your audience that you're writing for better what are some like techniques Mm. you do for that
0: a million of them. It's like all we do so much of the work. Once you know the better practices, right. And once you just like keep learning and, you know, we have an active subscription to deep dive. And then this other one, a very academic one, just to make sure we always get those journals. Um, So you can keep reading that, right. That's important. Always keep acquiring that like new insight into how people make decisions, especially as more and more academics are learning about and like studying that online. So there's that. So once you know those things, right, then it does really come down to, okay, well, what, what do they need to hear? Because you can't just have a bunch of like, oh, use contrast effect. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. But how, like, but like what plugs in every time you learn these persuasion techniques, like what do you plug into them though? And that's the words. So you have to know what to say, or you have to have a strong hypothesis about what to say. And what we have 100% learned is as much as everybody, it's, it's easy to sit around the boardroom and try to crack through what people need to hear. It's almost never going to be what they actually need to hear, though. And I often talk about how Mr. Rogers, I'm sure you saw Mr. Rogers. I don't know if you saw it, but on Facebook a couple years ago, this was going around his when Mr. Rogers spoke to U.S. Congress about getting funding for PBS, I think it was, or not removing funding from PBS. And he told this story of this song that he wrote for kids that begins, what do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so mad you could bite? This is a song for like a four-year-old to hear. And what's interesting is a child said that to him. What do I do with the mad that I feel when I feel just so mad I could bite? If we were to sit around a boardroom table and say, let's come up with a song for a four-year-old. We would not start there. We would never know that that's an actual insight into what that poor kid who's trying to sort out this insane world and obey his parents, but he's mad. He's got all these emotions that every child has. We're sitting there thinking, oh, kids love candy. Oh, kids love this and that. And it's, They do want to hear Baby Shark, for sure. Of course they do. Um, But then there's also the other things, right? All this whole well-rounded feeling, being that we, when we're sitting around a boardroom, we can never actually get into. We have to go out and listen. Just like Mr. Rogers listened to this child ask this very important question, we have to go do that too. So we go out and we have all sorts of things that we do when you cannot Get out to your market. Let's say you have to write something right now. You just have to. It's not an ideal state. You wish you had more time. You don't. So, we do review mining in those cases. And that is just going out and uh, looking at the products that are either your products and the reviews for them, or, and I say products, but I also mean services, software, things like that, or the products that your prospect is hiring to do a job that they should be hiring your solution to do. So, if you and this is an example, you know we did this for a rehab center in Florida. I've talked about this one a lot, but it's a really like good example. And so we wanted to write a new homepage to test for this rehab center. It's, you know, great rehab center, but it had some empty beds some months. And when a bed costs twenty thousand dollars a month, if you got three empty ones, you just lost sixty thousand dollars. That's real money that you could be using. Or you can't make payroll now because you got expensive doctors and therapists and this giant acreage you have to keep up in Florida and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, so it's important to fill those beds. So we wanted to find out what message we needed to say, right? Like, what what do people need to hear in order to take action here? And you can't talk to you can't so obvious ones that we would normally go to are interview the customer, interview the client survey them, do a new customer survey and a just about to become a customer survey. Uh, those are really obvious ones, right? Interviews and surveys. You can't do that when you're talking to some markets such as people who are considering going into rehab or just checked into rehab or have completed rehab. There is so much going on there. I am not about to pretend that I'm qualified to walk that person through what they were going through without at the same time causing actual damage to what they've just gone through. So we were like, hard no, we are not surveying or interviewing anybody. We can't even depend on their answers because the emotional changes are so wild there. And I mean that in like a really respectful way, like there's a lot of transformation happening. And so we did uh, Amazon review mining. So what is a thing that you turn to instead of sending, asking your spouse or your child or yourself to go to rehab and books go a long way. Books are often a good starting point for a lot of people. Can I just get training on this easy, quick training on this to know how to handle this? Um, and so for a lot of service companies and products and all of the things, you can go and look at reviews or books that have been hired to do the job that people should have hired your solution to do. Uh, so we looked at the reviews for six different books around dealing with addiction, 12-step programs, all of those sorts of things. The, only the book topic mattered. We needed to go through the reviews and see what people were revealing in there. And as we went through that, you get lots of great data, right? But one of the lines that stood out was, if you think you need rehab, you do. And I was like, hmm, we had already com- uh, done a competitor analysis. So we had seen that across other websites or rehab centers. There was a lot of softer messaging, like we're here to support you on your transformation or on your journey or whatever, like very soft. And then this line out of nowhere was, if you think you need rehab, you do. And I was like, okay, let's write that one down. We might be able to do something with that. And there were many others that came out too, but that one kept surfacing. And what's important here is when you're listening for messages, you're listening to what you should say. And that's typically around the frequency, how often you see a message. And then there's how to say it. It's rare to find a really good how out there. Like here's how to phrase it. This is something that we wouldn't have come up with in a boardroom. We couldn't have known that this was a way in, but as soon as you hear it, You're like, yup, exactly. And not because it's smooth and easy and it sounds good, but because it's actually touching on something that no one else dared to touch on without crossing a line. If you think you need rehab, you do. So we tested this. We tested it against two other, the control, of course, which was in keeping with all of the other rehabs out there, like we help you along your journey. And then there was a data point that we tested against it around results, like how many people succeed when they go through this program. And then there was a testimonial. So in quotation marks, testimonial headline. We tested these four headlines, three against the control. We also, interestingly, and I know I'm talking a lot about this, but it's a very interesting thing to me hopefully everybody else isn't like tuning out right now but we also as a team uh, myself the consultancy that brought us in the CRO agency that brought us in and then the clients too we voted (laughs) on which one we thought was going to beat the control nobody nobody voted for if you think you need rehab you do and I think it's clear where I'm going here if you think you need rehab you do Beat the control and the others like by a landslide. Talking a 400% increase in clicks on the button from the homepage, like directly below that headline. 400% statistically significant results here, which means, oh hell's yes, that worked. Then on the next page where you actually became a lead, which I have never in my life expected a homepage to do any real work beyond the homepage. You really can't ask a single homepage headline to do extremely heavy lifting across your entire entire funnel, right? Like you're super lucky if, if that ever happens, don't depend on it. Um, and I still wouldn't depend on it going forward. But what's really interesting here is the lead gen page was on the next page. The click-throughs of course increased by 400% with this particular button. So you're going to push a lot more people through, but on the lead gen page, we also saw for this headline the statistically significant result of a 26% increase in form completions. So that's 26% more leads. All we did was change the homepage headline and we got that result. We didn't change anything on the form page. Nothing. Not a single thing changed over there. So to get this result just by going out and listening to what people are saying in review mining, dope. Is it a bit of a fluke? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I would not recommend that. That's the only thing you ever do because there are fake reviews out there. You have to filter through those and you want to triangulate, right? But we weren't talking about what to say. We weren't saying, oh, everybody, all they need to hear is messaging about the need to go to rehab as soon as you think you do. So we're going to just plaster that everywhere. No, that wasn't the core message. That was just the headline. We took the how and applied it here. Now, when it comes to the what, you also want to listen like for frequency of message there? How many times do you hear a thing? Not the words they use, but the message they're saying. And so that's separate from this. But, um, my point is in addition to the usual things you've heard about, do those surveys, do those interviews. There's so many other tactics, especially online today to go listen. Review mining is one of them. We do a lot of like gorilla <laughs> listening. So get out there. We did this with, um, a big major league baseball team we were working with. we just went and talked to people as they were going into the I know so little about baseball. <laughs> I don't know if it's a stadium or what. they were going into the place where the baseball game is played, and that's when we were asking them uh, questions, right? So you can get out there and and ask people right in the space where they're really thinking about the thing that you're offering anyway. so long answer, bunch of ways to do it. Those are among my favorite ways.
1: yeah, I. I- Love that. I love the review mining tip. That's, that's amazing. And especially like looking for books that have the same audiences what you're looking for. That's 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 a gem right there. I wanted to go into the what you kind of said the testing phase of copywriting. Like how do you set up a test that is good and you know that like and when do you know like the results of the test is significant or not? Yeah. I, I'm just interested in that because I think a lot of people might set up tests incorrectly and then Mm -hmm. the data is flawed from like which copy worked or which CTA worked or all that good stuff.
0: Yeah. How to set it up is one thing. I think another thing like before we even get into that is really just around what are you testing? So before you even go into setting up a test, It's nice to be able to isolate something like just change the headline. That's all we're going to do, just a headline test. You're typically not going to get statistically significant results, though, with just a headline test, unless it is dramatically different. So for us, the general rule of thumb if you want to test successfully, is dramatically different X. So whatever X is, is it a dramatically different headline? Is it a dramatically different hero section? Is it a dramatically different page entirely? That's where you're more likely to actually see statistically confident results. If you do something like we'll help you along your journey versus we'll help you along your path. I mean, one, you're not even going to learn anything from that. Like What? Like that doesn't matter to you as uh, basically an academic looking at this and trying to learn something about what your market needs to hear. But if you test, will help you along your journey versus if you think you need rehab, you do. Those are so dramatically different from each other. They're saying different things. They're saying it in different ways uh, that you're more likely to actually get something. So think dramatically different whenever you start a test at all. Go into it that way and you're more likely to get good results. You do in order to set up a test. One, you can set up a test with, any of the many testing platforms out there, they're based on cookies, of course, right? So people have to accept cookies in order to move forward and be part of your test without skewing your results. But solutions like Optimizely are built to handle GDPR, basically requirements around cookies. So otherwise Optimizely would fall apart as a business and they're not interested in that. So solutions like that make it really easy to set up where you install a snippet into your footer head or whatever it is in your code really straightforward stuff your google tag manager and then you go into optimizely into your account you choose the url this is the easiest way to do it if you haven't done it before you don't need to go in and code a whole new page unless you're doing a dramatically different page design in which case you do but if you're like we're going to do a new headline and button and by the way if you're starting out a headline and button together. Because the button is the site of conversion, that's where the click happens, right? So your test is measured on clicks, largely. You're most often going to have that as your metric, like clicks um, and then conversions as a secondary one. Typically, there are exceptions, but we're talking just starting out. So if you change your button copy, you change your button color, it's a really quick win, right? You'll quickly see, oh, we got more people to click the green button than the orange button, or we didn't. But if you do it with your headline, so you have your headline written, and then you also in this variation, we'll call this variation B. So you've got variation A, that's the control, variation B, and any other variations that follow each get their own letter. But variation B, let's say you have a new headline, and then you also change the button copy. Usually there's a hero section, we're talking about a web page right now, usually there's a hero section with a headline, a little bit of body copy under it, an image next to it or behind it, um, maybe a video up there and then a button, possibly two buttons. So if you change the headline and then the first, the primary button, the one you want them to click, that's typically going to be a good first test to run. Uh, Change those two together. So all you have to do in a tool like Optimizely, put in the URL of the page in question. It shows you the page right there in the platform. Click on the headline, edit it to what you want. Click on the button, edit it to what you want, save it, and now you have to QA the test, right? Before you put it out into the world, make sure you QA it. So you can QA it just using Optimizely as well. Just make sure you check through it, check it across all of the devices. So make sure it shows up properly on mobile, et cetera, et cetera. Then you can launch your test to a small percentage of your traffic out of the gate. So like expose it to 10% of your traffic. That way, in case something does go wrong... You only have a small percentage of your traffic that's negatively impacted by it. Then as you go out and you're like, okay, nothing's messed up. The test is running normally, everything's cool. Then increase your traffic, the amount of people, the number of people who see it to usually you'll want to do 50%. You want a nice 50-50 test. The more risky, or sorry, the riskier, the copy or the test that you're running. The more you want to throttle that traffic back just to be safe right especially if you have a risk averse team your cmo doesn't like the new variation and is like fine do it but you better not mess this up okay fine <laughs> and i'm going to only expose 25% of traffic to it until you start seeing some results and then you expose more traffic to it but the point is you've got about a 30 day window in because of cookie length in which to run your test And if you have a little bit of traffic, then you're probably not going to get to statistical confidence. If you have like poor conversion rates as well, it's going to be very difficult to get to statistical confidence. So there are test calculators out there. You can just Google a split testing calculator. There used to be like one or two. Now there are a million. And you can just enter the amount of traffic that's coming to the page, what the current conversion rate is. And it'll tell you how long the test has to run in order to get to a 10% lift, a 25% lift, a 50% lift, et cetera. And so that's the best way to go about it. Use a tool like Optimizely that's like WYSIWYG editing to get this thing up. Make sure you QA, make sure you throttle down your traffic until you're like sure that you didn't mess anything up with this. And before you do the whole thing, use a split test calculator, one of the free ones out there to just make sure you've got this you've got enough traffic that you can actually run a test to confidence. You do need it to get to confidence. If you stop it before you could be completely wrong with what you're saying about it. We have seen yeah. <laughs> again and again, they will be like uh, variation B is trending up for a week and everyone's like, holy crap, this is amazing. We're totally going to beat the control. And then the weekend hits and the numbers start going down you're like oh it's just a blip it's just a blip it's weekend traffic they're different but then the next week hits and it's still going down and inevitably you then find that the two lines that you'll see in the graph showing you like how this ab test is performing get really close to each other again and you're like well what how is this even possible so you have to leave it running until it gets to confidence try not to check it that regularly once you're cool like if nothing's broken then try to just go in like once every four days, once a week, and only call it once once the tool has called it.
1: Uh, yeah, I love that. I love that advice of the comp significance because I see this also like people are like, oh, your copy just killed it. And like, they shut it off after like five days and you, they don't let it run for.
0: Yeah. And then they're like, hmm. But are we haven't actually increased leads and we haven't actually increased conversions. What's going on? And it's like, well, no, it wasn't the winner. It just looked good, but that was a blip.
1: And also I think you made a good point there too, is that like sometimes like it is improving like click through rate, but doesn't mean it's like improving like the actual conversion down funnel. So like the messaging might've got someone to click, but it might not have caused someone to like actually make a, a change In their life to make a purchase, for example. Like
0: Yeah, which you really can't, I mean, unless the goal is to increase paid conversions. I mean, we have to look at it as every element has one job to do, right? Like the whole conversion journey is a lot like the making of a customer. So if you think of it as like a factory line, then although everything exists in order to create that product, that new customer who gave you money at the end. Each element along the way only has one job that it can possibly be responsible for. Sometimes it does more, like that headline that brought in more leads on the following page. But that's really rare. Typically for a headline, you're like, only ask it to do one job, and that is to grab their attention so that they keep reading on the page. That's it. If you ask a headline to do more than that, you're probably setting yourself up for a failure. So if the button is meant to get that lead, or get that sale, then it is responsible for that. But if it's not, then it's only one element toward that goal. So it's tricky. You want a paid conversion as a result of every effort. (laughs) But we all know that's like impossible and unrealistic. Of course, you can't expect that. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't a valuable change toward your path. That new headline, that different Facebook ad, whatever it might be, Those don't have to bring in the sale in order to still be a really valid new asset.
1: That's amazing. Like thinking of every little part of like the funnel as a lever, not like thinking, okay, if this headline didn't make a sale, like doesn't mean the headline's flawless. Look at like the form next, or look at the handoff to like a sales rep next. Like don't only look at like that one element and say like it's flawed just because it's not doing X. That's such a great point. Um I know we went talked about knowing your your customer, but like how what are some ways to like make your copy like more like personal? Like make it feel more human?
0: Um yeah so starting by listening to how your audience actually talks is good. Right. So back to the if you think you need rehab you do. It's not patronizing. It's not patting anybody on the head. This is a hard thing for someone to have to make a decision about and being talked down to or anything like that can feel really off-putting when you think about who the average person is that might go into rehab. They come from all walks of life. Uh, We know looking at the data that some people who go To rehab, Uh, there are a lot of firefighters, for example, which I found very surprising. But there are a good number of firefighters who have so much stress that they go through, and they end up in rehab. How does a firefighter talk? How does a firefighter respond? And that I don't want. I'm not saying be stereotypical. Imagine a firefighter, just like we imagine a child only cares about candy. No, listen to how they talk. Right, listen to the actual ways that they communicate, and then try. Not to be different from that. You don't have to try to sound like they do, especially if it feels inauthentic, but try not to be different from it. If they're not going to respond well to your message because it sounds different from how they talk, then what is it? To, then what the hell is your message doing out there? If it's not working for them, then it's not working, period. So I don't care that the CMO or brand person likes it. It doesn't matter. And so often companies come up with their brand voice in a boardroom. They weren't even listening or they come up with it very early. They have a designer they hire early on who is like, okay, I'm going to do your brand mood board for you. And here's how you guys should sound. Or you guys should come up with how you sound. Like, uh, what's your voice? And then suddenly everybody's like locked in some voice and they have no idea if that's the right voice because they're new or they go through a new like rebranding exercise and they still they there in a vacuum coming up with how they're supposed to sound. Just go listen. As soon as you realize your job as a marketer, your job as a marketer is to listen. That's like the vast majority of your job. Nobody hires me because I'm some flippin' whiz kid when it comes to understanding engineers. I get hired to work on a lot of projects that are targeting engineers or technical buyers. I don't know anything about them. It would be crazy if it was like, oh, I'm Joanna. I'm gonna sit at my desk and come up with something and everyone will like it. Nope, I don't know anything about it. I have to go listen. The best thing you can do is realize you don't know anything. Go listen. Only use what you hear. Check it through the person internally who is like closest to the customer best understands the customer, making sure that you're not going off on some weird tangent because there's confirmation bias. You heard one thing, you liked it, then you like sought it out later. So there's a lot of steps in there. But the point is you need to go listen to them in order for your copy to ever stand a chance of sounding like they do or like something they would trust. So go listen. And then of course, pull out the parts that are most interesting in what they say. And that's the stuff where if you come to the table with humility and just like own that you don't know. That's like one of the strongest things you can do as you like get more and more experience in marketing or really in anything is identifying what you don't know and admitting it because then you can get an answer to it. If you think you know it, you're probably wrong. <laughs> and then nobody wants to tell you that. And then you put it out there and it doesn't work and it flops and you're like, oh I guess our market's bad. Nope, it was you. (laughs) You did it wrong. So to make it sound like them, go listen to them. Know your customer. You're not your customer. Know that your customer is out there. Even if you are your customer, you are one of many different customers. So you have to go listen. And then try your best when you're actually taking what you hear, when you're putting that on the page, try your best not to edit it down to something that sounds quote unquote, good. If you think you need rehab, you do happens to be well formed sentence. It's a, it's clean. It works in your brain. No one feels weird about it, but there are going to be other ones that are a little more raw feeling. Even than that, you have to have the courage to sound as raw as your prospect actually feels when they're landing on your page. So that means oftentimes that means starting with the problem that drove them to you and actually expressing it so for example for sweatblock which sweatblock.com it's for hyperhidrosis people who come to sweatblock.com have problems and whenever i talk about this people are like oh yeah well that's an obvious problem when they come to my accounting software website I mean, what's their problem? They don't have a problem. What are you talking about? Nobody goes to an accounting website because they're ready to be entertained. Like they want actually to have their problem solved. Of course they're there because they have a problem. So they were also there on sweatblock.com because they had a problem. Um, And so, again, we did review mining in this case, too. We also had other data from surveys and things like that to get us through. But the new headline that we went with for a whole new page, so we did a dramatically different design for this page and beat the control very tidily on paid conversions because it was a page designed to get people to buy. So the headline was, it doesn't even have to be hot out. My armpits are always wet. Okay, pretty gross, actually. Like the actual message is raw. It doesn't even have to be hot out. My armpits are always wet. In quotation marks, with an image of a person next to it, looking down and like, she's just unhappy because like, this is her life. But we match the pain that you were actually in. It's not aggressive. We're We're not selling you a gun and saying your granddaughter's in the back of a trunk right now. You better go like kill everybody who might hurt her. We're saying, hey, we get it. If you, you know, you're out there, it's not even, you can't high five, you can't, you're sweating behind your knees, you're sweating when there's air conditioning going on, you're always sweating. We get it here. We can help you with that. So if you can match their real pain, then you're more likely to actually be inside their head, matching what's really going on. Instead of trying to pretty it up and just leading with, I don't even know what, uh, Basic headline would be, but if you can imagine, whatever I don't even remember what the control was. It was so long ago for that one. But like the default for most marketers is just make it sound nice, just make it sound good, and then they're shocked when it doesn't work because people didn't come here thinking my life's great. I don't need to change anything. I'm perfect. I'm just going to browse sweatblock.com and just like see what's up. You're not. You're there because you were sweating a second ago. You were dropping your kids off at school and you waved goodbye to them and you know you had a giant wet armpit showing to all the other moms and now you're like, oh man, one more thing for them to judge me on. If you can match what's really going on there, that's raw, that's real, that's what they're going through. It's you on their side, not you against them. So that's what I recommend. Listen to them and just have the courage to actually say what they're thinking.
1: Yeah, that's that's super good because I kind of had the same experience this weekend like I couldn't find my wallet for like two hours, and I finally found it. And I was like, went straight to like Tile, Aisle, yeah. Uh, uh, and then I was like, yep, I'm buying one. And that was like <laughs> my pain in the moment. Like, but Tile did so much marketing that when I needed them, yeah. like I knew like that was my problem. Like at that time, um, yeah. But that's uh, that's amazing. I wanted to go one last question for you, and then sure. what are most marketers doing wrong today?
0: Uh, Guessing. 100%. They're just guessing. I've known many marketers. I currently know many marketers. None of them are guessing because they're lazy. They're guessing usually because they're, one, they've got a lot on their plate with the every new digital marketing thing you have to think about. They've got a lot on their plate. But secondly, there's not actually really good, like practical marketing training out there. You might have done an MBA and you did different studies in there, but that didn't necessarily expose you to all the different practical execution level things that you have to do in a day. So you could come up with a strong strategy. You could say, we need to do, we're a SaaS company. um, We've got an activation problem. People are signing up for our trial and then... Vanishing. Where the hell are they going? We need to have an activation campaign, a really strong onboarding sequence that gets them to come back. Cool. Let's do it. Great. How? <laughs> what actually happens next? Now that we know that's the strategy, now what? And so they're like, okay, well, um, where do you begin? We begin with a uh, a welcome email. We have to welcome them to the product. Cool. That's email one. Welcome to the product. Cool. Next, well, we know that it's a project management tool, so they should probably enter their first project. Cool, let's do that. And then, like, the whole way they're just like flipping guessing, right? Like, what is in a welcome email? What needs to go in a welcome email? You have that level of guessing that only sets you up for further guessing because you might not actually need a welcome email. If you don't know what goes in the damn thing, what, what is it doing there in your sequence? It's the first email. It's probably going to need to get people to come back and do something, not just to feel like they're part of the quote unquote community We're all part of so many communities. I don't need to be part of your project management community. I don't even need a welcome from you. It's nice to finish with a welcome so that I know I am welcome, but I'm not sitting there in my waiting in my inbox for that email to come in, twiddling my thumbs going, hello, you haven't welcomed me yet. Like what's going on? I'm never going to use this if you don't welcome me. More likely, I have an actual problem that your software is supposed to solve for me. And you're just not even telling me about it. And you've left me alone in your product. So instead of guessing at that, go actually interview some people, do a follow me home, which is very old school. But back when I was at a big tech company, one of the things we would do is follow me home. You'd stand in Staples in the aisle where they buy your software. You'd watch somebody eerily, (laughs) you'd watch somebody pick up your software and finally say, okay, I'm going to go buy this. And you would follow them and say like, Hey, can I come home with you? Literally this happened to people said, yes. Um, can I come home with you and just like watch you install this? And that would be how you'd learn what people were going through in that first use experience. So you could optimize your first use experience. Now it's different from that. Now you can jump in and say, hey, <laughs> um, saw you just signed up. You can do this on your thank you page. You can run this for like a week for all new signups and say like, I have a video from you. Saw you just signed up. I'd love to actually watch you. Try using this from signing in and so on. If you don't mind, please click here. We'll have somebody online who can handle this for you in the next four hours, whatever. You have to figure that out yourself. And we'll reward you with the first three months free, or we'll reward you with an Amazon gift card or whatever that thing might be. But what we want to do is screen share. You'll screen share and we'll just quietly watch you try to use this. And that's like, once you can do that, now you know the challenges that got in their way. Now you don't have to guess. You've seen 10, 20 different people try to go through that first use experience and you will know what is getting in the way for them at every turn so that you can now plan an email sequence that will actually do the thing that you want to do. Instead of you saying, I guess the first email is a welcome email. I guess the second email is a set up a project email. Nope, those are guesses. Those are bad. Stop guessing. You can actually talk to users. So just go
1: do it. Yes. I love that. That's so facts right there. I think that a lot of times I I see this like with a lot of markets that are really good marketers. And it's like, they, they would just say like, Oh, we need to get this. We just need an email. Cause we need an email. Like mm-hmm. it's not because like, what, what's the purpose of the email? You don't just need an email. Like, no, um,
0: Nobody needs another email. Like, Exactly.
1: I want to leave you with the last like minute to tell people where they can find you. A little bit about your awesome site and anything you want to talk about right now. This is your time. Yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So we're over at copyhackers.com and the hacker thing, do not let it throw you. We've actually had user testers who are like, ew, hackers sounds untrustworthy. And I'm like, I get it. I hear it. The reason we're called Copy Hackers is because 10 years ago, we started to serve the hacker news community. So, single founders who were engineers who were trying to get ahead. That's why Copy Hackers exists. So, copyhackers.com uh, started by serving tech founders and now serves all the marketers, particularly digital marketers. So if you're working online in any way, trying to get the yes, more leads, more sales, all the things come over to copyhackers.com. We have our blog, which is filled with of course, you know, just, we don't have listicles is what it comes down to. We have articles on, here's what we tried doing. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. Here's what you should try maybe taking away from this. So a lot of articles based on studies uh, that we've done with our own clients and we also have tutorial Tuesdays and that is every, there's replays galore, but every week we do a live tutorial on something to do with copywriting. Like here's how to train your Facebook pixel, or here's how a template for writing a last day email in your launch or your campaign. Uh, so tutorial Tuesdays are great for that. And we're hopeful that If you get a lot of value out of that and you're ready for the next level or someone else on your team is, we do have copy school available as well. But start just by checking out, getting, you know, upscaled across the board on how to get the yes at scale over at copyhackers.com.
1: I love it. And yeah, it's one of my favorite sites to go check out copy. So thank you, everybody should go check out the site right now. And I'm excited to get this episode out to the masses because I think it's such an underrated skill. And thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you. It's been fun.
1: Awesome. Talk to you later.
0: Sounds good. Thanks. Bye.